Hello everyone and welcome to a uh, post-derby special podcast of the Liverpool Echo. Uh, me, Phil Kirkbride, Greg O'Keefe, Tony Scott and Dave Prentice. Uh, we were all at the game, uh, so we'll look back, dissect and uh, talk about a game that's been somewhat overshadowed by events uh, across the park since. But um, Preno, was it an opportunity missed or do you see signs that perhaps the you know, the sort of tide's turning a little bit in the derby? I was quite refreshed uh, in one respect in that Everton's outlook and attitude in derby matches seem to be a bit more positive than it has been. You know, certainly in the uh, the pre Roberto Martinez era, it was a piece I wrote about in uh, in uh, today's uh, website where I mentioned that in previous derbies Everton have you know taken that old David Moyes phrase a knife to a gunfight mentality. They seem to embrace that you know uh, inferiority complex and try and use that to their advantage. Um, you know the dogs of war thing, if you like. You know, let's say it should be plucky little Everton and mm. trying, you know, sort of fight our corner, and that didn't seem to be the case at, at the weekend. You know, Roberto has tried to instill this uh, superiority complex into his players, and he wants them to take the uh, the game to Liverpool. He wants them to be, you know, positive and to be forthright and to be bold. And um, when when we saw the team sheets in the morning, I think we'd all say there was an initial sense of. Not deflation, but you know, missing John Stones was a big miss. And I think we all secretly hoped that Seamus Coleman was going to make it as well. And when you see three quarters of the uh, first choice back four missing, you figure the worst. But that wasn't the case. I mean, you know, Galloway's been outstanding all season. Tyus Browning did well. And uh, Mori was excellent yeah. on the day. Um, and that all contributed to a very, very positive performance where Emerson for 20 minutes took a bit of time to get into it, but then had a great spell at the end of the first half and were the only team that, for me, really looked like they wanted to win it for the last quarter of an hour. And so whilst the draw is probably a fair result in the end, I think that Everton's attitude and Everton's willingness to want to try and win the game was quite refreshing. And as you know, concluded by saying, I hope that that means that in the very near future, that, let's face it, it's been a long time without a derby win, you know, is, uh, is, is finally ended. Greg, you were, if I'm right in saying, one of the sort of section of supporters was a bit more frustrated. Is that fair? Or? Yeah, I think... The sort of source of my frustration, although I agree with Preno that in the second half, Everton were really good and probably the only side that were gonna, likely to win it. I got the feeling towards the end that we could have played on an extra hour and they just wouldn't have found the winner. Because although they had all the ball and, and they did, as I say, clearly with a more positive side, they just weren't creating clear-cut opportunities. And that's not to say Romelu Lukaku did anything wrong. I think we were all sort of united in our appreciation for the way he... Held the ball up at the back play, was back to goal. For once, I think Martinez was right in, in his sort of superlatives and his kind of hyperbole. He really was that good. He was about Lukaku, not Delefeu. <laughs> about Lukaku, <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll, we'll talk about Delefeu probably uh, <laughs> shortly. But I just felt frustrated that they, that for me, it wasn't as if they were kind of creating brilliant chances and missing them. They just seemed to be knocking on the door consistently, but not very loudly. Mm. Tony, what were your feelings? It almost didn't feel like a typical derby, but maybe that's what Martinez is trying to, to bring, changing the whole atmosphere and feel of it, of an Everton performance. Somewhat disappointed me. in. I thought Liverpool were there for the taking. I think we, we, we all know they are now. They're not the side that they once were. And when looking at the two teams, I do a line up. I know Preno touched upon we had three of the first team members in the defence. They were out, but still, the defence done really well yesterday. Um it was just you, you. You had the feeling that obviously Liverpool were literally there, and Everton didn't do enough to win the game. They didn't create that many chances yet. Or Mignolet's made two classic saves, 
but they didn't come from Everton creating them. They come from Liverpool's mistakes. There's like a pinball in there for, for McCarthy's shot, and the second one was a wayward cross from Delafeu, which led to a so sorry for the Barkley header. So they didn't really push Liverpool to the limit, did they? In case do you know what Everton should have won that. They probably, if you're looking at the two teams, Everton maybe if you look at you should have won it. But did they do enough to probably win it? No, I'm not. I'm not sure. Can you not take anything from the fact that I think we probably all agree that in the end. There's only one team looking to win it. They bring on Joe Allen, a defensive midfielder. We replace Naismith with Kone. Well, I think they only brought Joe Allen on because Lucas was on the brink of getting sent off, mm. as it was. But uh, Liverpool were disappointing. But we know Liverpool have been disappointing all season. And we're waiting for Everton to turn it on like they do against Chelsea. Why don't Everton play like they did against Chelsea, like they do against all these other teams? When, when Gab Buckland made a good point last week, when the big teams come to Goodison, we turn it on against them. When Liverpool suddenly come... Everton just don't play exactly the same. If that Liverpool that Liverpool team there that turns up yesterday, if they turn up in different colour kits, Evan beat them nine times out of ten. It's just a, it's a stupid mental block now. And I was I was looking at it all this all this week. I was confident on Everton turning them over, and again we're coming frustrated by not taking them day day for the scruff of the neck. And Everton again have bottled it for me. It was like that first twenty minutes, wasn't it? Where Everton looked a little bit cagey, a bit cautious, slow off getting out of the blocks. Yeah. I know Preno asked Martinez about that after the game and Martinez did allude to it and he said, yeah, you know, they did start the better and they're a team that start games well. Mm. You know, if you look when Everton played, when they played well this season in Southampton and against Chelsea, they did come flying out the blocks. Maybe it's natural that there's a little bit more trepidation in a derby. Uh, it doesn't suggest the continuation of, of the very real psychological block that Everton have had. But my overriding feeling was just frustration, really. Huge opportunity. When you look at it, was Sam and Mignolet like, absolutely battered? He had to make two great saves, don't get me wrong, but apart from that, was he ever troubled? I know Tim Howard was, don't get me wrong, he wasn't. But was Sam and Mignolet like, called upon that many times apart from them two saves? But that's a derby, isn't it? I mean, derby matches are notoriously tight and cagey. Well, I understand that, Dave, but when Everton played them a couple of years ago, Goodison, Everton bombarded them. It was a 3 all classic. And they, they didn't care about them then. They went at them. Yeah. It's a different scenario again. That's that, frustrating. That, that was a different game, that, though. I think that was... Roberto made the point that he wanted the game to be opened up then because Everton were losing at the time, 2-1, yeah. when Baines got injured. And he brought De La Feu on because he wanted to open the game up. Mm. And Rodgers was obviously very new to the Liverpool job then as well. And so both managers, I think, unencumbered by the uh, you mm. know the, the derby match you know pressure, were willing to uh, slug it out toe-to-toe. I think it's quite noticeable in recent years that the derbies have been tighter as both managers you know become to appreciate how much is at stake in them. Yeah. And it'll always be the case. It's a derby. I think it's quite rare that you, know, you see them wide open, uh, certainly with Everton are concerned. The game obviously could have opened up slightly more had Lucas received his second yellow card, Greg. Did Martin Atkinson bottle it? Yeah, he completely bottled it. I thought he was woeful. I think there's got to be questions asked about why. And I said this in, in the article I wrote afterwards, an official with such derby baggage keeps getting awarded this game. He keeps getting awarded the game. You're not telling me he's a human being. There's not something in the back of his head. He... I think it must affect you and the way you handle these games. He's had enough of them. And there's almost always been a contentious decision. And it's almost always been in Liverpool's favour and against Everton. And he was at it again yesterday. You know, it was it was one rule for one set of players, one rule for another. Lucas should have gone. He was clever, as Martin has said. He knew what he was doing. He was trying to stop Everton's counter-attacking. He did it very cleverly. 
he shouldn't have got away with it. They should have been reduced to 10 men for a, a, a large portion of the game, which might have given Everton that sort of uh, that impetus to go and get the points. I think what sums them up yesterday was that he was, he was handbagged between Henry Chan and Ross Barkley. And everyone expected just a ticking off for both of them, but then the cards start coming out for no, there was no reason. And there was the same thing happens with um, Saka and Lukaku. I'm not much on any. He's just inconsistent. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't use any common sense for me when you're refereeing a big match like that. It's you, you're just picking cards out for left, right, and centre for no apparent reason. I think Roberto summed it up perfectly at the end of the game when he said that he thinks that the uh, the Jack Rodwell incident. Was still playing on his mind uh, because that incident was, you know, rescinded and he yeah. was made to look a bit daft. I think he wanted to be absolutely 100% sure before he sent or, you know, showed Lucas a second yellow card. And, you know, to me, it was, you couldn't miss it. You know, it was the most just blatant trip, him up, yeah. you know, And it, it, was, it was stupidity by Lucas. Uh, but I think maybe Atkinson didn't see it that clearly. I don't know. Or maybe it was just the fact that Liverpool's reputation seduced yeah. him and he decided he didn't want to show a red card. I know it's a bit of a redundant debate because whatever we say, whatever people in far more powerful positions than us say, makes no blind bit of difference to the FA or to the Premier League. But you've only got to look at now during the Rugby World Cup. It's brought into focus when you can hear, like TV viewers can hear you know, the deliberations that go on between the referee and his assistants. And you can hear the process towards making a decision. What was his assistant doing? You know the main, you know the the main stand there in front. Of, what was he saying? Tell me, yeah. was he giving him any helpful input? Was Atkinson listening to him? If not, why not? If he's got the monitor there in front of him as well, isn't it? Surely he's seen Lucas tip him up, yeah. and he's obviously had to feed him some information. That's, that's What's a, he told him? That, that's a wider debate now because I think uh, assistants don't assist referees. To me, they just look to see what decision the referee is given and look to agree with it's it as awesome. quickly as possible. Yeah. yeah, so that they seem to be providing a united front. And if you want to spread it even further, you know the role of uh, touchline officials now, which uh, you know, <laughs> so UEFA seem to you know yeah. use. It's just absolutely baffling the number of decisions that they don't give because they're again seeking to endorse the views on the man in the middle rather than you know giving them their own differing viewpoints. Uh, the whole system's flawed. To be fair, he, he shouldn't have even needed an assistant. He was two yards away from him and seeing yeah. him kick him, seeing him chip him up as he was going clean through. So. The second yellow should have been out. We should have been playing against ten men. And that would have been interesting. Yeah, fifteen minutes to go then. You mm. know, with ten men, and you know, knowing how progressive Martinez can be with the substitutions, he might have switched things around again then, just to try and uh, you know, put more pressure on. But it's gone. It's not going to change now. Mm. Um, so speaking of substitutions, um, Lennon came on for De La Feu, who and not before time. Yeah. I think we'd all agree, and most of it's only to the ground degree that he didn't have his best day. Greg, can you understand? At any level, on any on any level, what Martinez was was on about when he said Delafay was outstanding. <laughs> no, uh, for me, this is. I think Roberto Martinez is. You try to protect him. I think you... yeah, but sometimes I think you've got to you've got to be a bit harder with players. I I like his approach to most things about management and about coaching, and he's also got that pastoral approach to younger players, and he bigs them up all the time. Gerard De La Feu doesn't strike me as a young man whose ego is very fragile. He was talking the other week about you know how he glory will be achieved by the virtues of God and perform you know if he can perform at Everton and you know he's been at Barcelona he's represented his country albeit you know a couple of times. I don't think he's any shrinking violet who needs to be kind of coaxed out of his shell. Martinez for me strays into and he's been in this in this country twenty years now, mm. so I don't think it's a language thing. He's a very very bright guy. He speaks yeah. brilliant English. Outstanding, nah, come on, give us a break. It's, what, a, ba- it's a bit patronising to fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what was interesting is, yeah, he wasn't 
asked that question. He volunteered. He, he, volunteered. Volunteered. Yeah. he wanted to make a point that Delafeu uh, was Why did he make outstanding. That point he was a little unfortunate in his execution, <laughs> yeah. which just basically means that his delivery was poor. Yeah. Is, um, that, is that then on the back of, you know, Jerry tweeted, didn't he, saying sorry about the game almost. I think he was, you know, disappointed we didn't get the win. Was that, did, is that Martinez's reaction then because he knows that Delafeu is... Really upset with how he played and frustrated. Is that is that his tactic? I don't know. It was some. It was. It was not just his game. It was his. Like there was fifty fifties to be one on one stage in stages mm. of the game, and he wasn't going for them as if like yeah. I'm the superstar here. And it was the, the sluggish attitude that you can't afford to carry many plays like that. In a I, I, I just think he looked at Alberto Moreno, who actually have come out of that game with with a. Grudge and respect for. Don't him. forget, Moreno knows him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's but, knew his game inside. You looked at him and you thought, this is going to be a real advantage, Everton. Dale Fayou getting stuck into him. And really, you know, twice he kind of got made, he got the best of him in the sense that he made an intervention, one that was game changer for Everton. But as you said earlier, they were both courtesy really along the way of a bit of luck and a mistake from from the visitors. So I think it was disappointing on the back of the West Brom game, on the back of previous appearances. The lad's class and he's a game changer. And it's just so annoying that he couldn't do it yesterday. Well, having said all that, he created the goal. I mean, it is cross. I mean, I, it's totally, a terrible cross. Totally man. agree. He had a poor game, but and he took the cross early. You know, he wasn't you know hovering and checking backwards and forwards. He got the cross in early, and it worried Liverpool to the point where Emery Chan decided to lash it into Martin Skirtle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Martinez claimed it as an assist afterwards. <laughs> I think that's the sixth yeah. time this season that he's created a goal with his balls in. So he does make things happen, yeah. and yeah, you know, he was. Very, very below par, but he does have that moment, that flash of inspiration that can change games. So maybe Martinez, as he always does, was looking to accentuate the positive. If we were frustrated with with De La Feo, then I guess we couldn't have been anything but sort of offering sort of huge admiration for players like McCarthy yesterday. Greg, I thought it was terrific. James McCarthy was very good. Yeah, I thought you know as ever that he he did, he left everything out there. You know, he he got around brilliantly as he does, and I think having a player like that in a derby game is crucial. Him and Stephen Naismith, for me, were the ones who kind of played it like a traditional derby in the sense that they went 100 and, excuse the horrendous mm. cliches, but 110%, if you like. I don't know, maybe I, I give far too much uh, to what, what Preno writes these days, <laughs> but he's got in my head with this piece about McCarthy and his, his distribution getting forward. No, but it was good yesterday. But the more, I think, the, more, yeah. the more I think about it, though, yeah, it was good yesterday in terms of he didn't waste any balls, yeah. but there was no. I, I think he's brilliant, and I think that he's got the ability to get forward with a bit more potency and to contribute yeah. more in an attacking sense. And he didn't do that as much for me yesterday. His passing was alright, distribution was okay. He's but, never got forward though. I mean, Barry is the much more considered passer in that partnership. He's more the, the whirling dervish, like yeah. charges round. Uh, but no, I, I thought his distribution was okay yesterday. I mean, it, it's not his game. I don't think he, he's got that in his makeup. You know, to pick out precise passes. His, his game is more winning possession back and giving it to people that can. Like Barry, exactly. Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy about that. I thought he was very, very good yesterday, McCarthy. Don't you think he has a certain role to do on Coutinho rather than anything else? I think he yeah, was just for the that. second season yeah. running. He's not a fag, Coutinho. Coutinho never got a kick yesterday. I think he also had the job to do on Milner as well, to be honest. Mm. I think he did something similar on him as well. He stopped the two. Well, you, you felt, didn't you, that initially, and it certainly looked like that, Milner, Liverpool were trying to play around Gareth Barry's kind of yeah. ageing legs, but it didn't come off like that, whether it was because he was ably protected by James or yeah, well, his seemed, own. Yeah, it seemed obvious early on that Milner had been told Barry's going to get the ball from the keeper or the centre-halves and you go and press him straight away. Don't allow him to turn, don't allow him to pick the pass because obviously Everton's, you know, where they sort of 
bring the play out from defence and through into midfield is 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 sort of top notch. So I felt, but I felt that Barry was too clever for him after about five minutes when he realised, you know, that Milner was going to be right up against him. And I think, and also I think that Jamesy. He did. He did the almost the opposite job when Milner had the ball. I think he got about him. I think that really sort of nullified Liverpool quite a lot. Everton were allowed to play from the back. Liverpool did press the ball very, very, very high up the pitch, right mm. from the off, which was very noticeable. I think that's probably where Everton missed John Stones the most. Uh, Murray was great. I was really impressed. He made two decisive defensive contributions, which could have cost the Everton goals. But I just think that you know Stones' ability to you know nip play together and bring it out from the back was sorely missed yesterday. And I think Liverpool tried to play on that. Uh, it didn't really work in the end for them. But you know maybe that contributed to what was ultimately quite a frustrating stalemate. I mean, but looking at that, Prano just picking up on that on Maury, You know, imagine a world where John isn't isn't with us, and, and you know, and you know, it's it's not beyond the realms of possibility, <laughs> is it? Looking at Jags and Maury as a centre half partnership, you know, in in terms of you know, basic defending and doing that job first and foremost, you would be fairly comfortable with it, wouldn't you? Oh, totally. And let's face it, he's only three games into yeah. his career in this mm-hmm. country, so he's going to get better. I thought Martinez was great afterwards, uh, demanding that Phil Jagielka be given more credit. He said it's no coincidence that the people that play alongside him always seem to flourish because he helps them and he guides them through and he's, he's a top-class defender. And yeah, he's helped uh, Murray settle into his uh, life at Everton very, very well. I mean, he looks like an... A, more of an old-fashioned type of mm. centre-half, if you like. Um, you know, he's quite physical, he's quite decent in the air, his defensive work was good. Uh, but, you know, he can't begin to compare to Stones on the floor, but few can. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, if there is a time in the near future where, you know, so Everton have to make do without John Stones for any period of time, I don't think many would be devastated at the prospect of Moni playing alongside Jagielka. I just think Stones is exceptional. Yeah. And, you know, when you get him alongside Jagielka, they look a different team altogether. Just picking up on what Preno just said then about Jagielka, uh, it sounds like this podcast lately has been like a weekly kind of herogram for, for Jags. And, but I make no apologies to that because when you talk about him and how he always helps his partner in, at central defence to flourish, it just makes me think about when Stones was kind of beginning to emerge as a player. There was the club captain, you know, a senior international, who was shuffled across, completely egoless, mm. to play on his weaker foot yeah. to accommodate John Stones on his right foot. And at the time, I remember thinking, well, why is that? And we all know why now. You know, if John Stones, you're going to get the best out of him playing where you get the best out of him, and he's yeah. brilliant. And the irony now is that he's probably great off either foot. Yeah. There's Jaggy Elk, not complaining. Playing, and I've never looked really, maybe the first game, and perhaps behind the scenes, he might have admitted to a few kind of bits of rushness and nerves playing on the left side of that too, but... He just did it. He got on with it. And he well, just says everything about the man. If we've got a hero, Graham, we have to throw a few words in about uh, Brendan Galloway as well. He's just getting better and better and mm. looks absolutely nervous. Another great performance yesterday. But the flip side to that was the performance of, uh, of our goalkeeper, which, you know, not for the, the second or third time, I think, you know, eyebrows were raised. All right, Ross Barkley might have been pushed. He might have uh, jumped forward a fraction too early to allow Danny Ings the header. But equally, when you see a goalkeeper who's not coming to collect the ball three yards from his goal line, you immediately got to point fingers towards him. And I liked him, Howard, as a goalkeeper. He made one stop on his near post, which a lot of people missed. You yeah, know, just like, one, yeah, 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 you just mm. clipped that round. And he does defend his shots very, very well. But those moments where he's costing goals seem to be coming with not increasing you know, regularity, but a little bit more often now than you would like. And uh, I don't think we've, I think this season is a season that you know, could be pivotal for him. I think that Roberto might be looking long term now and start thinking about bringing somebody in. I'm not sure about Joe Robles long term. I don't think we've seen enough of him. He had that great little spell last season, but you know maybe he could get more of an opportunity later in the season. 
But I think you know we might see a few more fingers pointed in Tim's direction before the season's out. It's happening quite a lot, isn't it, with Tim hours lately? It happens at West Brom, just corner kick into the box. It's it's not even in the six yard box now. He's not coming out for them. The defence is more or less waiting for him to come out and command his area, but he's just not coming to the ball at all. And not being funny, you can't expect to save a ball from a set piece if you're in the back of your own net to save it. It's time and time again. The goalkeeper is costing us. Yeah, as Dave touched upon then, Ross Barkley left his man. There's no two ways about that. But you can't come and take that ball, take everything with it. He's not commanding enough for me, really isn't. And that's where Everton have got to be looking at it maybe next season, long term. Yeah, totally agree with that. Was that unusual spell last season when Roberto Martinez, in a very uncharacteristic manner, effectively said he was looking for a new goalkeeper? You know, and, and, and I think his suggestion was we thought that it might have been a stopgap. Mm. But he said, no, I'm looking for someone to come in long term as, as a number one. And it was all kind of, obviously, things changed very quickly in football, don't they? And Robles came in and played very well, and that was all kind of played down, Phil, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, no, you kind of, something almost got over the line in January, and then it kind of went, actually, we're not, we're not looking anymore. But yeah, I think, I think sort of at the end of this season, maybe January again, you might be looking. Um, because he obviously, you know, you don't have many years. Tim, Tim's got left over, want to stay at the club, you know. You know, he's always spoke about going back to America, hasn't he, to finish his career. So maybe, you know, maybe it could be his last season, we'll find out. But yeah, you would imagine it's on the agenda. But uh, we'll Looking on the goalies, look at the, the tail of the two goalkeepers yesterday. Mignolet keeps them in it. Howard's well, nice wise mm. for us. And that, that is the difference, really, isn't it? When you look at that, that could be a, a victory for Everton in the ring. But um, as I said, it was um, Brendan's last game, anyway. Yes. Thoughts, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> well, it took us by surprise, didn't it? I mean, uh, his demeanour in the post-match press conference was, you know, quite, quite laid back, quite cheery, almost uh, talking about the lack of pressure that was on him. Maybe he had an inkling, and that's why there was no pressure on him because he knew that the end was nigh. Personally, I don't. I think uh, you know, we, we were told he was, you know, the news was delivered to him in his home, uh, informed just an hour or two after the uh, after the final whistle. He goes into retirement as a, as a manager who hasn't lost a Merseyside derby. Mm. Who was the last guy that that happened to? Joe Royal. Joe Royal. Joe, uh, yeah. uh, didn't do him any good either. <laughs> so, uh, nah, I mean, what can you say? I mean, uh, he had that one, you know, incredible season at Liverpool, which you know they, they mm. ran very, very close. But uh, I don't think he's you know upset too many Evertonians along the way. I was going to say, you look at <laughs> over the years, you've got yeah. Rafa Benitez and. Who annoyed half of the city just by winning the Champions yeah. League? But then there was a small, small club, club comment. Yeah. In fairness yeah. to Rogers, um, was, he hasn't been a particular bogeyman, really, hasn't he? He's, he's never really. Well, he's never won our Goodison for the well, castle. And he's never really been one to provoke the blue, no, blue side yeah. of the city. He hasn't had much to say, really. Kind of, you know. I suppose part of you thinks that it's a shame he didn't stay around much longer because Liverpool certainly this season don't look like they're going anywhere. But mm. that, I, I probably, say, that can all change. He probably did some. Not bothered about him that much because he hasn't won a thing with them. To be fair, if he has won something with them, you'd probably hate him as much as you know him. But he hasn't won nothing with them when he goes like that. But as I said, the effort I've seen off, I think Carlo yeah. Ancelotti now and David Moyes are Goodison Park and their last games and now Brendan's added to that list. So, yeah. Got Tim Sherwood, we we uh, <laughs> yeah. trepidation couldn't go to him, won't we? But we shall see. So uh, thank you very much for listening to this uh, post derby special and uh, stay uh, stay with Liverpool Echo for the best Everton news and analysis. Wie had dat gedacht? Van shoppen in Milaan naar achter de koopjes aan. <laughs> Gelukkig heeft Telford Smart Pakkers. Niet het laatste model telefoon, maar wel de beste prijs. <laughs> dat is toch genieten? Geniet ook zonder te veel te betalen met Telford Smart Pakkers. Zoals de Samsung Galaxy S7 met 1 giga en 150 minuten. Nu voor maar 26,50 euro per maand. Doe je voordeel mee, Telford. Let op, geld lenen kost geld.